Hey, we're going to talk about worship a little bit. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I've slipped into a mode of kind of defining worship pretty narrow. It's sort of like what happens before the word on Sunday mornings. You know, we worship with our singing, with our voices, and then we come to the word. I, 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 want, I want to suggest to you that that's way too narrow a definition of worship. Worship is much broader than that. Tozier, I think it was, defined worship as astonished reverence. Now, we can enter into astonished reverence here as we, as we uh, are offered the opportunity to come before him with our singing, with the word, but it doesn't stop when somebody says amen in about another 30 minutes or so. You can walk in astonished reverence of God. We're going this morning to look at a classic text on worship from Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Let's just look to the Word. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of His robe filling the temple, Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence here with us through your Holy Spirit. As he points us to Jesus and the supreme sacrifice that he made on our behalf, as he revealed to us deity in flesh. Father, thank you for the carefully preserved word that you have given us here of Isaiah's experience with you. May we not allow our familiarity with this text to rob us of its richness and its application for us here and now today as we live our lives centuries after this occurred. So teach us, Holy Spirit, what you would have for us as we think about worship about being in awe and wonder before you in astonished reverence. <laughs> Thanks, Father. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. Classic text. No doubt you are familiar with it. No doubt you've heard it preached. But hopefully I can, I can roll back a thing or two that'll give you something to get a hold of to take with you as you think about worship. We're going to this week and next week look at this text, and we're going to see worship as three things from here. First of all, it's going to be worship is knowing. 
And then worship is woeing. I admitted for service, that's probably not even a word, but you know, we kind of go off the cuff occasionally. So worship is knowing, worship is woeing. You heard it in the text. And finally, worship is going. But it starts this morning with worship is knowing, and right away, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, recognized Him. A few weeks ago, we thought about how about eternal life is a, is a relationship, really, that starts at the point of our placing our faith in Christ, and we are reconciled to Him, and we have that opportunity then to know Him. Just like Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, he knew who it was he was looking at. We need to be tending that intimacy, developing that relationship with Him. We have been invited into relationship with Him. And oh, it's limitless, boundless. But did you notice before he acknowledges seeing the Lord, he drops it into historical context. Maybe you have been guilty as I have of just kind of rolling right past that little designation. Did you see that? In the year of King Uzziah's death, for some reason, a translation I've used in the past had gotten stuck in, in the year that King Uzziah died. I say, okay, well, well that, let me see God. Let me see the Lord. Well, yeah, we'll get there, but don't run past. The Holy Spirit inspired that peace with purpose. And here's why, because it's going to establish this incredible contrast of what Isaiah is experiencing here. You see, Uzziah was the first of four kings. If you start in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see that he prophesied through the reign of four kings of the southern tribe of Judah. You remember after Solomon, they split into two, Israel did. There were the northern ten tribes that after that point were called Israel. There were the southern two tribes that were known as Judah. Down here in Judah is where Isaiah is doing his prophesying. He's, his ministry happened in the southern tribes, and there were four kings, the first of which was Uzziah. Apparently, they were pretty close. Isaiah and Uzziah. As a matter of fact, after Uzziah died, um, uh, Isaiah sort of wrote his history, recorded everything that had gone on. So he had the bird's eye view. And it started really, really well for Uzziah. There were 20 kings altogether in the southern tribes. Only eight of them got the designation that he did good in the sight of the Lord. That's a little hard to imagine, isn't it? Of the 20 kings, only eight of them were described that way. The rest, the others, did evil in the sight of the Lord. But Uzziah was one of the good guys, and God honored that, and things were going wonderfully well. Just a couple of highlights out of the history that Isaiah may, may very well have influenced. Early on, things were going well, and it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Now, that sounds really cool, but it's almost, does it have a little ominous feel to you? As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him, as if there may come a day when he doesn't and things don't go so well. And he was going to have many years, 52 years as king. It's hard for us to relate to because we don't do kings. We do presidents, and every four years, we got a chance to give that boy the boot, right? Or that gal the boot. So far, guys, one of these days, gals, okay? 
We have a chance to give them the boot. Not so back then. If things went well, they just stayed in power. Uzziah had 52 years as king, and as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And Judah was going strong. Things were good for them. Comes along and gives some more of his things, and it says, Hence, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped. I like that. You know, that's what God will do. He can marvelously help us. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. You know, side note, I just, just side note, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul teaches us that God will sometimes allow things to stay in our lives to remind us of our weakness because in our weakness, we are what? We are strong. Here, Uzziah was marvelously helped until he was strong. When he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And he went into the temple and took on the role of a priest, which was forbidden even the king. The king didn't get to represent the people before God in the temple. But Uzziah had gotten so full of himself and the prosperity that he was experiencing that he took that on and immediately was struck as a leper and spent the rest of his reign isolated and separated from people. And so see, with Isaiah... And Uzziah, things had started really well. They apparently were close, or at least Isaiah had the bird's eye view, but things just kind of went downhill. And now Uzziah had died. Let me show you a map about what complicates that even further. To the north and to the east, there is this powerhouse brewing that was going to be Assyria. Assyria had already come in and threatened the northern ten tribes of Israel. They were going to take over eventually. They would be the ones that would wipe out Israel and bring them to an end. And they were already starting to make those overtures down. The king, Uzziah, 52 years that Isaiah had known and walked with and encouraged. And, and now he was dead. What's going to become of us? Will the next king, who was Uzziah's son, will he do right in the sight of the Lord? Sometimes, folks, there was bloodletting. You know that, right? In the transition from king to king, they'd be threatened by the new or by remnants of the old, and so they would wipe them out to establish their own rule. Imagine being a voice for God when you didn't know if the next guy was going to do good or going to do evil. Isaiah is living in the midst of uncertainty. We don't know for sure if, we don't know for sure if Isaiah was struggling with this, but it's in the midst of that historical context that God allows him to have this vision. And it's just a little phrase at the beginning of chapter 6 here that gives us the contrast 
of what things are like all around them in this nation, what things are like in Isaiah's life in the midst of which this vision is going to come. Makes it very applicable to us, I think. Any uncertainty in your world right now? Now, I know we can put on the happy face and we can put the, I got this all together, no problem, no big deal. We can present that. But oftentimes, beneath the surface, there's a, a whole nother narrative operating that says, I don't know how this is going to turn out. This is intimidating to me. I'm worried about this. Maybe it's got to do with school. Maybe you're just headed into middle school. That can be a scary place. Things change in middle school from the little kids down in elementary school, right? Maybe you're on your way into high school and it changes again. Maybe it's college and will you be able to perform at that level academically? Or maybe it's grad school and you don't know what's going to happen after grad school. There's not really much school left and I'm going to have to get a job. Will there be any jobs once I get there? Did, what if I chose the wrong major and the job market has dried up on me? And once in a while, somebody will say, well, what are you going to do after school? And then there's that uncertainty nagging. Maybe it's work. Maybe a brand new job or maybe new responsibilities at work. And you don't know if you're going to be able to pull that load. Maybe there are rumors about downsizing. Maybe it's not a rumor. Maybe it's reality. Maybe you're already unemployed or underemployed. Maybe it's in your relationships, friends. Maybe your best friend is moving away and you're not going to be together any longer. Maybe it's boyfriend, girlfriend, and the, and the wild fluctuations that can take place there at times. Maybe you're engaged. <laughs> What's that going to look like? Maybe you're married and something just gnawing at you that things aren't quite right. Maybe you're single and don't want to be. Maybe you're single and content, but everybody keeps asking you when you're going to get married. Maybe you're divorced or wonder if one is pending. Uncertainty. We drive about an hour and five minutes on the way over. I saw one farmer in the field. I don't know if he was working on a rice crop or what, but he was out there trying. Uncertainty. The crop insurance date is looming on the corn crop, right? It's uncertainty. I get it. Maybe it's family issues. Maybe your first baby and you wonder if you're ever going to get to sleep again. Maybe you got a house full of teenagers. Maybe you're empty nesters and you've realized suddenly that we've poured our lives into our kids and I'm living with a stranger. Maybe you have aging parents, or maybe you are aging parents. Maybe you're face-to-face -face with health issues. You fill in the gap. Uncertainty. Maybe not as life-threatening as Isaiah was facing, but maybe that little parenthetical phrase at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, maybe it lets you relate to this text a little bit differently. 
Because in that historical context for Isaiah, it was face-to-face, real-life issue. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. Are we going to make it? In the midst of that context, he says, I saw the Lord. (laughs) Very special name there for Lord. There were a variety of names he could have used. You know the, you know the name for God, Yahweh, that, that he made known to Moses when he was sending him back to Egypt. You know compound names of El, El Shaddai, etc. Just a general name for God. That's not the one they used here either. It wasn't Yahweh. It wasn't any of the El names. No, this was Adonai. He said, I saw Adonai. Adonai is the name for God that emphasizes his sovereign rule, his absolute authority. Adonai should probably be understood as meaning Lord of all, Lord par excellence. Right in the middle of Isaiah, quaking with uncertainty because his friend, the king, the long tenured 50 plus year tenure of king who was primarily a good king was gone And God says, hey, look up here. Lift up your head, (laughs) Isaiah. I'm here. I'm not just an earthly king. No, I am the king of all kings. I am the sovereign par excellence above and beyond all. Not Not even Uzziah, your friend who is an incredible king, compares to me. I am Adonai. Stark contrast to Uzziah, whose life ended with him living alone outside the city as the law prescribed for lepers. It was an evidence of judgment. And here Adonai reminds Isaiah, his servant, I'm still here, Isaiah. Look up. I am high and lifted up. I am lofty and exalted. Yes, I know your circumstances. I know that it feels tenuous and you're unsure, but I'm still here. I'm still on the throne. On a throne, interestingly enough, that was in the temple. Did you, did you hear that part? I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Study the makeup of the temple, and there was no throne there. Outside of the seat in the Holy of Holies, where God would localize his presence, the Ark of the Covenant. This is a king who is not content to live in the palace. He is the king who unifies national and religious relationship. The sovereign of all things. All the symbols of royalty are fully intact. Adonai is lofty and exalted, high and lifted up, sitting on his throne. In spite of the circumstances, he's still there. 
And Isaiah recognizes him. You are Adonai. You are the sovereign of all. I'm so glad to know you're still on your throne. That in spite of the circumstances that I find myself in, you have got it under control. Holy Spirit, preserve this text for us in the midst of our uncertainty that we too can be assured he's still there. He is still sovereign. He's got us. No earthly king ever had what's described here in verse 2 where there were seraphim that stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And the one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the only place these angelic beings are mentioned in all of Scripture. Uh, Eddie and I laughed a little early service. You know, we, we can be guilty uh, in the midst of a moment of kind of wordsmithing. You know, we'll just create one out of nowhere. It appears the Holy Spirit may have allowed Isaiah to do that. The, the root of this, of this description of these angelic beings is, is the verb to burn. So you can see how that would tie in as as Isaiah in his mortality viewed a glimpse of the throne of God and saw these incredible uh, celestial beings that were just so brilliant that just on a moment just came up with the only word he could use, these burning creatures covered with wings, flying around, expressing to God that which is unique about him above all others. Holy, holy, holy. No doubt you've heard that when the Hebrews wanted something to, wanted to emphasize something to uh, as much as possible, it would come in threes. And so that's what these beings were there communicating to God, an awareness of his holiness Nobody like this king, Adonai, who is completely other and separate from all others, and these beings are announcing it. The idea upon which holiness rests is separateness. That when God is viewed by these celestial beings, the only description they can come up with is that there is nothing, no one else like him. He said, this is just off the charts. This is the wow factor. There's nobody else like him. Adonai, the Lord par excellence, the sovereign of all things. That was the vision that God allowed Isaiah to have in the midst of his uncertainty. Relax, Isaiah. I'm not lost track of you. I know what's going on in your world. I'm still here, and there's no one, nothing like me. Does your relationship with him often take you to a place of a wow observation? Are you developing a relationship 
that you purposely place yourself with him and give him an opportunity to just wow your socks off. I'm not talking about an exact experience like Isaiah, although why not? If God decides to bring you into one of those, that's incredible. But they can be, they can be little mi- micro-wows where you just know he is revealing himself to you in some special, unique way just for you, just to remind you that he is with you. He's not lost track. It's going to be okay. When was the last time you had a wow moment with him? What are you doing to position yourself to allow him to roll back some of the shroud of his being to say, hey, baby, here I am. I'm right here. I've got you. Papa, have you got me? I've got you. It's going to be okay. Will there be tribulation? Yeah, Jesus said, of course there'll be tribulation. It's what you're going to experience in this world. But what did he say next? Be of good cheer. Because I've what? Overcome the world. He not lost you. He knows your circumstances. And they may be fatal. But this isn't the end. This is not all there is. (laughs) We're We're just on our way home with an opportunity here and now to get to know him, to enjoy him, to join him in what he's doing here until finally he says, mission accomplished, come on home. Then our faith is no longer required. We see Adonai. The, The seraphim cried, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. There were, there were earthly kings that had a lot of glory in their capital city. There were earthly kings that spread their glory across the country. Sometimes earthly kings that gobbled up other countries. Adonai is a king whose glory fills the whole earth. Did you encounter his glory this week? If the whole earth is full of his glory, it's there for us to observe and to experience. Because his glory fills the whole earth. Isaiah needed to be reminded of that because apparently he had dropped his gaze to be checking out all the circumstances of the here and now. Assyria is a big bad guy and they're starting to take out countries. And my buddy, the king Uzziah, who, man, he kind of tailed off at the end, but we were tight and he was good. And what's going to happen to... And, and God says, hey, Isaiah, look up here. Look up here and be reminded of my glory. It's all around you. Don't miss his glory. We we have created a lifestyle that is filled with nonstop distraction. And it's getting worse. 
and our flesh feeds off of distraction. The old brokenness within us wants to be distracted because if we, as we pair off some of those distractions, as we refuse to feed them, we can begin to experience what we were designed for, which is this, a right and growing relationship with Adonai, who is sovereign of all things. Hmm. Worship is knowing. Isaiah need needed to be reminded that in the midst of this uncertain time, Adonai was his God. Isaiah received affirmation from God that no earthly unsettling will rattle Adonai from his throne. Relax, Isaiah. I've got this. You and I have unknown earthly unsettlings in our lives. We face transitions that threaten to rock our world. Let me encourage you this afternoon, this evening, this week, Linger long here in Isaiah's experience with Adonai. It has been carefully preserved and inspired for our benefit. Linger long here in this encounter and allow Adonai to affirm you of his place in your life and our world. He will meet you there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here this morning. We are family as a result of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) And we know you. We have hearts now longing to love you, to follow you, to serve you. Lord, it's awful easy for us to get our eyes set off on other things. Circumstances can be intimidating, and they're undeniable. They're noisy. They're threatening, Lord. Help us to slow down and quiet down and just to rest before you, to linger long and give your Holy Spirit access to those inner recesses of our being, our soul, so that we may worship you Adonai, you do your work now, Jesus. In your name we pray, and amen.